I want to jump right into this word. God bless you. May God bless you again. Um, she just was like, give me more. Give me more. Turn in your Bibles with me to the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel. Man, I'm going to go directly into kind of the same vein that we've been talking about for the last few days on promises of God. And I just want to preach to you a message called Destined for More. Look at the person next to you, if you don't mind, or somebody behind you or in front of you, and just say, hey, listen, you're destined for more. Look at somebody else and say, hey, you're destined for more. I love that because it's so awkward. I'm just going to say, I love that because it's awkward. But it's truth. You're destined for more. I I don't care. I do care, but I, I don't care how much God's done in you. There's still more to do. I don't care what you've seen God do already. He's still got more that he's wanting to do. Whether it's healings or, 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 or outbreaks, there's more that he wants to do. And, and, and I want to just kind of jump right into this word tonight. And, and I want to say before I do that, thank you for your generosity as a church. Thank you for giving to our ministry. And, 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 and here's the way I always say it. You're not paying for me to be here. You're sowing us into the next place. You're, you're helping to partner with us to go to the next place. And I just want to say thank you, Pastor Cruises. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you. I love you so much. And you're going home with me, so I don't have to say goodbye to you. <laughs> Josiah, you're the coolest cruise of them all because you don't like tomatoes. Amen. <laughs> We're bros for life. We'll live next to each other in heaven. If they don't stop eating tomatoes, they're not going to make heaven. But that's another sermon. First Samuel chapter two, first Samuel chapter two verses, we're going to read chapter one, one through 20 here in just a moment, but let me just read this to you. First Samuel chapter two, verses 35, it says, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest. God's speaking here and he says, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and my mind. Can you imagine what's in the mind of God? Like, y'all have seen when I'm preaching, sometimes I get sidetracked and and some of my brains just kind of fall out. And you're able to kind of look into the chaos that, that I call my thought life. But in reality, can you imagine, the Bible tells us that he's going to do, or he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to his power at work within us. But can you imagine what's in the heart and in the mind of God? Like we love our family, but it fails in comparison to how much God loves our family. We love our neighbors. We love our friends. We love the people around us, but it fails in comparison. We want to see God pour out and, and see people saved. And we want to see people set free and healed. We want to see hospitals set, just emptied out, right? We want to see cancers begin to dissolve and, 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 and arthritis be no more. We want to see those things, blind eyes open, deaf ears here. We want to see those things, but it fails in comparison to what God wants to see. And what's in his heart. And it goes on, it says this, I will firmly establish. I will firmly establish his priesthood or his priestly house and they will minister before my anointed ones always. I've found out when we, when we will simply allow God to say, when we, we take on his agenda and his plan and say, God, whatever you want to do, I'm here to serve you. I'm here to accomplish your plans and I'm fastening myself to it. Can I tell you that God is not going, he's not going to look at ways to get rid of you. He's not looking for ways to replace you. He will firmly establish you all the days of your life. And it starts, that cry, that call starts somewhere. And I believe with everything inside, if you'll follow with me and trek with me just for the next few moments, that God's going to begin to do something on the inner corridors of your being, on the inner corridors of your spirit and of your soul. 
I believe that, that God's about to cause your spiritual stomachs to growl. And I mean, you're gonna just start getting hungrier than you've ever been. Let's begin to read about it in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 through 20. It says this, Elkanah had two wives. Well, there's his first mistake. <laughs> big mistake, big mistake. But anyway, it says Elkanah had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Penina. And Penina had, listen to this, Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man, this man went up from his hometown to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of meal to his wife Penina and to all of her sons and daughters, but to Hannah, he gave a double portion. Now, that, that's, you get yourself in trouble if you're showing some favoritism, right? But I've found out you usually give more to the ones you love. And this is a statement that his heart was, was knitted to Hannah. He loved Hannah. He probably loved Penina and he loved those children. They were his children. But there was something unique and something special about Hannah. But there was a lot more to it. It says, but to Hannah, he gave a double portion. Now, you have to understand, I believe that there are people that have been going out, going without some things in your life. And I believe that it is not just, just certain individuals. I believe that every person can fall into this category this evening, that every single one of us have been going without things in our life. And God, according to scripture, gives us a double portion of things while we are going without those. And God will allow this double portion. He'll, he'll allow other things in our life, but that cannot replace and that cannot take the place of what is missing. Because a lot of times, we'll, we, even though we know something's missing, even though, we, like Hannah, she wanted to have a child, even though she was not able to have a child, she wanted a child, and her husband loved her, and he would give her double portions, and he, and he loved her, and he gave her great things, but she was not content with just those things. She didn't start living for just those things. She did not forget what was missing. No matter what happens, don't allow the things in your life that are things to bless you and things to be to, that God's being good to you with. Don't let those things stop you from going after and still pursuing the things that are missing. It says, but to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her until she wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you so downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once while they were had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting at, on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. And in her deep distress, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And as she, and she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will just look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. She, and as she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart. I wonder what the prayers of our hearts are that man can't hear. And in our, the motion of us praying for them, it's causing other people to pass judgment on us. Watch this for a moment. It says, 
it says that she was praying in her heart. It says that uh, as she kept praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put your, away your wine. Not so, my Lord. Eli, or, uh, Hannah replied, I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking beer or wine. I am pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish. And grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you whatever you have asked for of him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went away and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early in the morning they rose and worshiped before the Lord, and then they went back to their home in Ramah, so that in the course of time Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, I because I asked for him. I want you to think about this for a moment. She named him. We talked about names. I think it was last night. Names meant something. Names were legacy. They were a purpose. But she named her son Samuel, which means because I asked for him. Seems kind of like you should have named him selfish, right? Right? But how many of you know, if God puts something in your heart, we need to ask for him. And there's some Samuel prayers. There's some Samuel desires. There's some Samuel things inside of us that we have to ask for. And they're not going to come forth until we ask for them. There's some empty chairs of some, of some future family members and future neighbors and future coworkers that aren't here yet. It's barren right now because we have not asked for them. The Samuels have not come forth. But something's gonna stir inside of us when we begin to engage God and say, God, would you bring forth the Samuels? Father, lend me your voice for the next few moments as I just simply go through your word. Lord, this beloved congregation and these beloved people do not need my opinion. They definitely don't need my advice, but what they need is a word from you. So Holy Spirit, would you just simply speak and have your way, I pray in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. amen. Hannah was a good God-fearing woman. I've found out just because you're good and just because you're God-fearing does not mean that you're not going to go through hard times. It's not because, it doesn't mean that you're not going to go through struggles. I've found out, according to Scripture, the, the, the closer you get to God, it's almost like you struggle more. Is it just me? It's like, dear Lord, like I, it's almost like I... I'm afraid to pursue God because of what happens, but that's not the case at all because the more you pursue God, no matter what happens, it ends up better. I mean, Job got attacked, but he got double portion. He got twice as much in return. I just look at it like, listen, if, it, if, it, if my pursuit of God and the pursuit of the things of God for my life arouses the enemy to attack me, it must mean that he's intimidated by me becoming who God created me to become and do what God's created me to do because I might just be something that destroys some element or some area or arena of his plan. And so if he can stop me, he will. But what happens when you don't get stopped? When you refuse to be stopped? When the more the enemy comes at you, the more it pushes you to God, right? Remember Paul and Silas in the prison cell? They just got beat up. They got stripped. They got humiliated. And they got thrown into the, the, the deepest chambers of that maximum security prison. And they got clamped leg irons on them. And then at midnight, the darkest hour, they began to worship. And guess who showed up in the worship? God. And men that had dreamt of ways to escape now found reasons to stay because God was there. Notice when the chain, if you read about it in the book of Acts, when Paul and Silas had their little prison praise breakout party, they were all in quarantine and God showed up, messes everything up. 
All of a sudden, the chains and the doors flew open of every prisoner there, but nobody ran away. Why? They found a reason to stay. I say all that because, listen, I believe something's trying to provoke us, and we need to make up our mind right now. No matter what the enemy comes at us with, no matter what the enemy does, he's not going to stop us. Because if, if, if he can stop us, he will. Now, we may get into the presence of God limping and with a fat lip and a blackened eye, but let me explain, I'm still going to get there. And thank God that he's the healer. Thank God he's the deliverer, right? Thank God he's the comforter. See, Hannah was a good, God-fearing woman, but she was barren, and she was unable to conceive. And we talked about it the other day. What does it mean to be unable to conceive? She was unable to bring forth life. There was this emptiness. There was this void inside of her. It, life did not come from her. All of her efforts had no fruit. And her husband tried to get her mind off of her emptiness with other things. He tried to fill the void with earthly abilities. He, he, but, but he could not make up for what only God can do. She refused to allow wealth, love, attention, opportunity, and blessing to be her comfort. See, she was more desperate for more. She was desperate for more. She was appreciative. It's, there's a difference to be complaining and constantly just, just not appreciative of what God's done. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your blessing. But God, I know that there's more. I know that there's more. And I don't want to just get, just get settled in on this side of the Jordan River because it's good enough. I'm, I'm glad I'm not in chains anymore. I'm glad I'm not a slave anymore. I may not be in the full promises of God, but this is good enough. We got to be careful that we don't take comfort and we don't stop moving after the promises of God because where we are is okay and it's good enough. See, she didn't let it because there was this, this stirring, this cry, this hunger, this, this movement in her soul that said there's more. She never gave up on the dream, a dream to have a child, a dream of redemption of her womb. See, Hannah's rival would mock her and irritate her and provoke her. She prayed, P-R-E-Y-E-D. She prayed on her, Hannah's insecurity and her inability. I am be a better wife because look at me. Look at all I'm able to give him. I have given him children. I've given him legacy. I've given him a future. What have you given him? What are you producing but regret and grief and worthlessness? Well, where did that come from? Let's be honest. Why would Panina try to provoke her? We read about it because even though Panina was able to give him children, she wasn't capturing his heart and Hannah had his heart and he loved her. And out of his love for her, he gave her a double. Notice this. It says I, he gave Panina and her children, her sons and daughters portions. But to Hannah, he gave double portion because he loved her. The enemy was jealous. Benina was jealous of Hannah's love. And so what does the enemy try to do? Tries to intimidate what you do have by trying to compare what you don't have. You're not good enough. How about we stop comparing ourselves because we're not them? How about we stop comparing ourselves to what everybody else is able to do? I can't sing like them. I don't look like them. I don't have the house like them. I don't have the job like them. I don't have the family. How about we stop comparing ourselves to everybody else and just grab a hold of God and say, God, I don't want what everybody else wants. I don't want what everybody else has. I want what you created me to have. And if you created me to have it, hell and high water can't stop me from receiving it. I may just preach tonight. See, Hannah's rival would mock her. Here's the crazy thing. Watch this for a moment. Ready for this? Panina had a house full of kids, but they were doing nothing. Hannah had nothing in her house but a heart full to do something. You know what's so crazy? Some of the things that we think 
impresses God are nothing more than just taking up space. And God's saying, listen, I've got something more for you. See, I would rather have empty buildings than empty hearts and empty lives. See, I would rather have empty buildings that are filled with someone that is filled with desperation because something begins to happen. The atmosphere is impregnated with the promises of God and desperation must push us to pray. Discouragement, discouragement must, linger, uh, must lead us to linger in his presence. Our determination must be greater than our discouragement. Are we determined to go after the things of God? Because if you can be more discouraged than you are determined, your discouragement will stop your determination. But if you're more determined than you are discouraged, you won't be stopped no matter how much you get discouraged. See, if you're going to be provoked, let me ask you a question, and you don't have to answer, and I'm not looking for an answer, but I am, but not. If you're going to be provoked, be provoked to pray. If you're going to be provoked, the enemy's going to try to rise up in fear of what you don't have and try to rub your nose in it and tell you. My bride, I mean, I can read you a text just now. I literally, there were some things that was going on in one of our businesses. And I, I, I shared something with her today. She went right straight to prayer. And she said, God, listen, we need some help. And literally throughout dinner, this business started getting clients. We got five clients in a matter of about 30 minutes. And so I'm just sitting there and I'm like, I'm just doing the work because I work for her. <laughs> She's a CEO. I'm the janitor. <laughs> I just clean up the messes and the toilets. <laughs> but she wrote me and these are the words. She says, Jamie, I just started praying. And she said, and the crazy thing is four of them reached out to us. We didn't reach out to them. I'm just sitting there going, if we're going to be provoked in anything, church, how about we be provoked to pray? See, people who are con content and satisfied don't pray. There's no need to pray. But I love what Lou Engle says. He says it this way. He says, the hands of God are chained by the prayerlessness of his people. God's got the ability, remember, depends on whose hands it's in. God's got the ability, but we don't release his ability to be activated in our life because we refuse to pray. We try to figure out a better way to do it on our own. I wonder how, just being honest, I wonder how many places maybe Hannah went to to try to figure out how to get pregnant. And no matter what she tried, she still couldn't get pregnant. How many times have we tried to make it happen? How many times have we be that, been that Sarah and Abraham and say, listen, we can't do this on our own. We may just have to incorporate another thing. And what I've found out when you incorporate another thing, it's always going to be the enemy of what God's promise is. See, what am I talking about? See, it's not just that prayer brings the awakening. Prayer is the awakening. It is a contradiction to claim to want the power of God, but to not pray and engage the power. Power comes down where there is prayer. See, Timothy said they have a form of godliness, but they're denying the power thereof. We have the intention of prayer, but we don't have the intention of prayer. You ever, you ever seen somebody that just met with God? They're all jacked up. They don't even really know what they're talking about. They walk funny. Their, their face is kind of crooked. They've got makeup all over the place. They, they, they're just jacked up. When was the last time you got jacked at the altar where the, if we struggle with depression, why not struggle under the depression of God's presence where it begins to depress upon us. It begins to leave an indention in our heart and we can't forget it. It's just, it, it's, it's almost like when you've been sleeping and you've been slumbering and you get up and you have all those, those marks all over your body. It's because you were, you were in a position and your weight it, it was putting pressure on what would happen if the presence of God began to put pressure on us instead of the things of this world. 
and you walked, you got up and people went, wait a second, you've been with God. See, Hannah grew more and more desperate for her womb to open and a child to come forth. Hannah made a promise to God in prayer that if she was able to have a child, that she would give her child to the Lord and consecrate that child to him. Samuels, watch this, Samuels are always first conceived in prayer, but they are brought forth only in intercession. They're conceived in prayer, but they're brought forth in intercession. That means just like a baby, it's not going to just happen. It's got to be a process. And a lot of us, like we talked about the other night, a lot of us get lost in the process. We want it to happen now. But can I tell you, if the Samuels came forth right now, the things that we desperately desire, they may be the very things that destroy us. There's got to be this, this season of preparation where God's not just, you have to, anybody that's ever had children, you, you, you understand this, and maybe, maybe it was just for me. I was 19 when I got married. I was tw- almost 21 when we had our first baby. And, and I, I, we, 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 I remember, I was a kid. I walked in that room, and I was like, oh, my gosh. I'm not ready to have a baby. <laughs> like, let's go another 10 months. And it's like, ready or not, here I come. (laughs) Pastor Tony's like, thank God this last night, you're never coming back. (laughs) Well, that baby was being prepared and formed in that womb. A mom and dad were being prepared and formed outside of that womb. I didn't realize I knew how to be a dad because I'd never been a dad until I had that baby. And all of a sudden, I had an amount of love that I never realized I had. I went from the most selfish human being on the face of the earth. Even though I was married, I was one of the most selfish people. It was all about me, myself, and I. But then all of a sudden, I would give up everything. I would rather go without, without shoes or clothes, but my children will not. I will starve, but my children will not. Something happens in the preparation of the Samuel coming forth, but it's as much of the labor of saying, because see, it's easy to say, I want the promises of God, but you have to labor for the promises of God because if you don't labor for the promises of God before they're ever conceived, when they are conceived, you may just give up during the labor of the Samuels coming forth. Because if you thought it was hard before, it even gets harder after. It gets harder during. There's a lot of things that happen. It's, just, it's, it's uncomfortable. There, there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of sacrifice. It's, it's all a part of the process. But all of that is forgotten once that Samuel comes forth. And now you're not just living for you. You're living for that promise. You're living for that Samuel. You're living. And now you're going, wait a second. I recognize that this Samuel was not brought forth by my my labor, this Samuel was brought forth because I asked God for it. And Samuels, Samuels are entrusted. The promises of God are entrusted. Listen to what I'm saying. So here's my question is, it says that she committed her child, this promise, to the Lord before he was ever born, before there was ever even a a, a pregnancy test that showed up positive. See, we must commit our Samuels to him and his service before they ever come forth. And when they do come forth, what will we produce with the promises that come forth? uh, Prophets or puppets? Are they going to just blend in or are they going to stand out? Are they going to change the world for the good? Or are they going to just be a part of everything else? See, I love, I love that Samuel promise in a, in a young boy by the name of Jeremiah. Who in, when the call of God was being exposed to his life, he said, wait a second, but who am I? And God says, listen, I, I, he took his word and he placed it in his mouth. And he says, listen, I placed my word inside of you. 
And he says, before I formed you, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Why if the prophets, if the promises of God are, are when they're being formed, when they're being, they're, when they're being created, they're being set apart. But after they're born, they do everything to blend in. We have to be determined that we are going to continue to give the promises of God, not for our selfish gain. Yes, it's going to be great, but God, they're for your glory. They're for your purpose. They're for your use. So when she conceived and Samuel was born, she gave Samuel to Eli, the priest. The priest represents, she gave him to the service of God when Samuel was still a very young age. The Bible says that Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. And this, and, and this was a t- during a time when the house of Eli was out of control. Samuel or Eli's sons were, were doing very wicked things and Eli ignored them, but God could not. He needed someone. God needed someone to rise into leadership and to shift culture. But even in the midst of a house of sin, the Bible says that Samuel continued to grow. You know what I found out? No matter how corrupt the world is, the promises of God will still continue to grow and flourish. Samuel lived. Listen to this. Samuel lived in a place where the heavens were quiet and deception lived in the next room. Outside his bedroom door was perversion, greed, and dead sleeping religion. But he stayed focused. God protected him and he stayed pure. Eli's house describes many of the homes in our nation. Homes full of darkness, but inside are full of prophets. I believe our goal must be to see this generation and the future promises of God stand firm regardless of their surroundings the presiding culture and their misguided upbringings. But I am here to tell you that even though they feel like they're being unseen, even though you're a Hannah in this house tonight and you feel like God's ignoring you, he hears your voice, even though your voice can't be heard. First Samuel chapter three. First Samuel chapter three, verses one through three, it says, and the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, who, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place, and the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel, watch this. this is, I don't know about you. This is just, this is awesome. It says the lamp of God had not yet gone out, but Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the Ark of the Covenant was. Like, I don't know if you know anything about where Samuel was sleeping. He found his rest in the very near presence of God. He made his place of refreshing, his place of slumber, his place of rest in places that very few people would go and most of them would only go once a year. The priest, the the, the high priest would only go one time a year and he would go in there and he had to have a rope tied to his foot because if he had any sin inside of him and he went into that holy of holies, if he had sin in his life, he would die. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard this. See, the the high priest would have this this ephod, this, 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 this high priest garment and on the bottom of the garment, it would have bells and pomegranates, bells and pomegranates, bells and pomegranates and then they would tie their foot with a rope because nobody could go in there and rescue them because if... the only person who was allowed in was the high priest and he was there to minister on behalf of the people to the Lord. And so what would happen is if they didn't hear the bells ringing, it meant that he had died. And so they would just walk out, pulling him out of the room because sin was in his life. And Samuel slept there. I want to be that type of person that doesn't just go into the presence of God for repentance. Mm. Because one time a year, a priest would walk into that place and offer atonement for the sins of the people. One time a year, the only type of communication and the only type of intimacy, the only type of encounter was through repentance one time a year. But Samuel said, wait a second, I want to abide in the presence of God. And he was a young boy and he was never, he never had to be pulled out. He didn't have to have bells on. Why? Because he was about the presence of God. 
And God allowed him into there and he's sitting there and he slept. Listen, it says that he slept where the ark of God was. The closest proximity at that time. This is pre-Jesus. The closest place you could get to God, Samuel found his place of rest. And that night, God interrupted young Samuel's sleep. He awakened Samuel. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, here am I. And he ran to Eli and said, here am I, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call you. Go back and lie down. So he went back and lay down again. The Lord called Samuel and Samuel got up and ran and went to Eli and said, here, am I, here I am, you called me. My son Eli said, I did not call you, go back and lay down. Now Samuel, listen to this. Now Samuel did not yet know. Samuel did not yet know the Lord. He found comfort in a presence of a God he didn't even yet know. I was pastoring, I was a youth pastor at a church. Pastor Tony, he came and spoke at a retreat for me one time and I'll never forget, I was pulled up. The church, it was dark. You don't ever want to go to a church at night. It's like, that's where devils go to. It's like scary. I'm not lying. It's the scariest place on the face of the earth at about two o'clock in the morning. You hear noises that it's crazy and it's cold in the church no matter how much the heater's on. But I had to go to the church and there was this car that was parked right in front of the church. There was a guy sitting inside of it. And I'm like, so I pulled up and I'm like, hey buddy, you all right? And he was crying. Kind of like a well-to-do gentleman. I mean, and he, was, he just wiped his eyes and he said, yeah, I'm good, I'm, I'm, I'm right. And he's like, I'm not bothering anything. He said, I just, he's like, man, I just came to get some peace tonight. And I said, well, what's going on? He's like, ah, he said, I'll get out of here. And I said, no, what's going on? And he says, man, my wife left me. He said, man, my kids won't even talk to me. He said, I've, I've given my whole life to my job and my career. And he said, man, I'm an alcoholic. He reeked of booze. And he said, I was just driving by. And he said, and I just felt like there was something pulling me into this parking lot. And he said, I just, I, he said, I have never felt this much peace. He said, I can't sleep. He said, but there's just peace here. I have, this is a true story. I have the, one of the largest recreational, marijuana recreational distributors, who's a dear friend of mine. He owns the lar one of the largest in the state of Colorado. Calls me every Monday at six o'clock to pray for him. And his, his name's Ronnie. He says, Jamie, I don't care if you leave a message. I just want to hear your voice because there's something in your voice that brings me peace. When we walk through the aisles, we may not realize it, but what's on us might just get on other people. I wonder how many people have sat in this parking lot when the church doors are closed and there's not a service going on and they sat in that parking lot when nobody else knew because there was, there was peace and there was contentment and there was something in that presence and they just sat there. Maybe they've never walked in the door. See, let me just keep on bringing this to a conclusion. It says he had yet not known the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time the Lord called Samuel and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me? Then Eli said, the Lord is calling you, boy. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls you again, speak. The Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went and laid down in his place. God is a God of the suddenly. 
Proverbs chapter 13, verses 12 says, unrelenting disappointment leaves you heartsick, but a sudden good can turn life around. God can suddenly interrupt your life with his voice just like he did with Samuel. Three times Samuel runs into Eli's room. Why? Because Eli represents authority in his life and he runs to the only authority, physical authority he knows. And the voice of God always sounds like authority. So therefore, the voice of authority, the sound of authority caused him to run to what he knew as authority. So he runs to Eli and Eli says, I didn't call you. Go lay down. And all of a sudden he gets back up. He gets called again. He runs to Eli. Eli said, I didn't call you. Three times this happens. Watch this. Three times Samuel runs to Eli's room and three times he is turned back and he is told and, and Eli told him three things. Number one, I didn't call you. Number two, go back. Number three, lay down. I believe those are the three things the enemy is always telling the called of God. You're not called. Go back to where you were and lay down. You're not called. Go back to where you were. Do what you were doing before and just lay down. What we don't understand in the word in Greek, the word walk means to live. If walk means to live, then lying down means dying. The enemy's really screaming to a generation. He's screaming to those that have an emptiness inside of them. Avoid missing a Samuel. And he's saying, God did not call you. There's no call on you, kid. There's no purpose to you. There's no destiny to you. God can't use you. I did not call you. Go back to your drugs. Go back to your alcohol. Go back to your depression. Go back to your former way of living and just lie down and die. Go disappear because there's no call. There's no purpose and there's no future. The three things the enemy always tells the called of God. When he finally recognizes and finally answered the voice of God, it is a powerful moment. We are told that the Lord came and stood. I believe with everything inside, God's not just calling. He's trying to get our attention so that he can begin to come and stand amongst us. He called as other times, but this time he said, Samuel, Samuel, it's a double portion. It's a double call. Then Samuel said, speak, your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, see, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears it tingle. I believe with everything inside, God is trying to get the attention of the church. And all of a sudden we run to Fox News. We run to CNN. We run to the Republicans. We run to the Democrats. We run to the president. We run to the IRS. IRS. We run to, we run to unemployment. We run to the doctor. We run everywhere else. And God's calling. And they're like, no, there's go back. Just go back and wait. Go back and wait. And God's saying, I'm about to do something that's not going to just be for for Pennsylvania. It's not going to just be for Washington, D.C. It's not going to just stay in the United States. It's going to sweep across nations. It's going to go across barriers. It's going to go across. It's going to go through governments. It's going to go through Congress. It's going to go through the Senate. It's going to go through the denominational walls that have been restricting God and what he's wanting to do. God's about to pour out. He said, and I'm going to do it so much that their ears are about to tingle. He's going to do it in Russia. He's going to do it in China. He's going to do it in North Korea, the most closed nations in the world. God's about to do something and our ears are going to begin to tingle. You're going to hear a story when North North Korea opens up their borders, Christianity Souls being saved. Human trafficking stopping. Murders and suicides decreasing. Drug addictions going down. Bars and liquor stores closing. Marriages no longer falling apart. And your ears are going to begin to tingle. Because I'm about to do something, Samuel. See, the Samuels, the promises of God, come before the actions of God. So you're not just waiting for your promise to be fulfilled. God's waiting for your promise to be fulfilled because what he's wanting to do is including the promises that you've been so desperately waiting for that the enemies told you you'll never receive. So I'm going to give you four quick steps, four quick actions, and I mean four quick actions. Four actions that are needed. 
Four actions that need to take place in order to receive the call of God on your life. Do you know that every single one of you is called of God? I don't care how young, I don't care how old, I don't care what you've been done, what you what you've done in your life. There's four actions that need to be taken in order to receive the call of God on your life. Number one, you need to hear. You need to hear. Something has to be heard in order to awaken us from slumber. Something has to be heard. Something has to be heard. And I believe if if we could take a poll right now, I believe there's a whole lot of people that have not been able to sleep throughout the night. Call it a headache. Call it anxiety. Call it fear. Call it pain. But there's a noise that you've been hearing. God's allowed you to be woken for something. See, you hear it. You first have to hear it. Something has to be heard in order to awaken us from slumber. We're awake. A a pandemic, coronavirus, riots, it's wakened us from our slumber. We were content with our church services on Sunday morning. We had our nice little Bible studies. We would show up for an hour and a half on Sunday. Not everything was good. Jobs were good. The market was good. Everything was good. Something woke us up. We've just got to be careful that we don't snooze what God has awoken us with and go back to slumber. You got to hear. But then number two, you got to awaken. We can either ignore what we've heard or we can allow what we heard to awaken us and move us. I don't want to just hear. I want to awaken. I want to move. I want to get. I'm not a good person. My bride literally kicked me out of the room because I move around. Like if I'm up, I'm, I'm up. And I have this thing like... I'm not real loud, but I'm move a lot. And she's like, why are you awake? And she won't look at me. She has that little thing over her face. Why are you awake? I can't sleep. Go away. But this is my room. Not right now. Go away. Because if you don't go away, I'm going to go away. I'm getting up. But then I got to go do something. When you're up, you got to go do something. Like, you need coffee at 3 o'clock in the morning. Nespresso is not quiet. And there's nothing like when you've woken up and you like you're now moving and you're trying to be quiet. It's quiet for you. You know what I'm talking about? That's that that cabinet. It's like, you know what I'm talking about? And you get the coffee cup, your favorite one, and it's in the back. So you got to move some things. Getting And all of a sudden you hear, I was being quiet. You told me to go away. Leave the house. Go preach somewhere. You think I'm kidding. I'm just being transparent and vulnerable. He's like right here. Reality check real quick. When you're awakened, we don't just lay around. We got to go do something. God is awakening his church. He's awakening some people. They've heard some things. It's caused them to move. It's caused them to stir. It's caused them to be awake. It don't just lay there hoping to go back to sleep. Don't just lay there hoping to get back to normal. Go back and get up and do something with the time that you have been awakened. God woke you up for a reason. After you hear, you awaken. The third one is you got to listen. He didn't just hear a noise. 
This was not a noise, but a calling. He listened to his name being called by the one of authority. There is a huge difference between hearing and listening. A sound is heard, but description, direction, and detail happens when we listen. And I'm going to say something. We need to learn how to go into the presence of God and not bring Bethel worship with us. Not that those things are wrong, but so many times our atmosphere is impregnated by what God is saying and doing and somebody else walk into a silent room and allow yourself to hear God. Walk in, not with any technology. Don't walk in in with any sound. Walk into the presence of God. Put your ear on his heartbeat and say, God, what is your heartbeat saying? Walk out with a word from God. Walk out with some direction. Walk out because you've been listening. You gotta hear, you gotta awaken, you gotta listen. But the fourth one is you gotta answer. He responded to what he heard and he moved into action. It is time, church. It's time, beloved that we have got to start answering the call of God on our life. What a, what a powerful moment Samuel would go from the last judge to the first prophet in Israel's history. He would be known as a prophet who would, be restu- would restore the altars of God. Worship team, come on up. He would be known as the prophet who would restore the altars of God. Let me say it again. He would be known as a prophet who would restore a place to meet with God in a world and in a time when the word of God was rare. There are not many visions. I told Pastor Corey today, I said, Corey, you know what we need right now? We need more prophets. We need some men and women of God. Give me a kid that wakes up because they spent the night in the presence of God and they wake up saying, listen, God's up to something. He's going to do something. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid of a fist coming to a calendar and things are exploding and you don't have to hold on and hoard all of your change. You don't have to do that because God, he never punishes his children. Let me warn you right now, don't ever hold on to a prophetic word if it causes you fear. If it causes you to go make sure that your shelf is stocked up with water and food to protect you, that's not God. Because God usually says, hey, listen, if you're going to do something, make sure it's enough for other people. And since it's on the shelf, why don't you go give it away to those people that need it? Because I don't see God saying, hey, listen, children of Israel, make sure that you box up all the manna because I may not have enough tomorrow. I'm so sick and tired of people getting famous on a Facebook and on an Instagram and on a YouTube saying a word in the name of God that has nothing to do with God's word. God's word never contradicts his voice and God's voice never contradicts his word. Where are the prophets that stand up and say, God, oh God, oh God, oh God, what are we doing? What are we doing? What are we to do? God gives some direction. See, Samuel was used to create an atmosphere for others to encounter the very presence that transformed him. He would be used by God to anoint kings and share prophetic words that protected and rebuked the nation of Israel. He would travel the land declaring truth. No matter what you've gone through, beloved, God can use you. He has called you to be set apart for his purpose. What I love about the kingdom of God is that God often raises up the no ones, the nobodies, the overlooked and the underestimated to do extraordinary things if we'll just be obedient. See, here's how you answer the call. Corey, I'm not trying to pick on you at all, but I, I appreciate your purity of heart. Jay, I have loved my time with the both of you got to do uh, a smoothie with you the other day, got to do some breakfast with you this morning, got to do some dinner with you guys tonight. But Samuel had this prayer where he answered it. He simply said, here I, here I am. Here I, here I am I. You know what's so crazy? You remember when you were in school and they did roll call? 
say, raise your hand. And you had to say something, right? You had to say something. What did you say? What? Here. And if you were real cool, you're like, what's up? Yo, yo. I believe God is standing on the brink of heaven's cusp. And he's got all these plans that are waiting for the promises to come forth. And he's screaming things like, Hey, Jay! Here. I was trying to shoot that to you in the prophetic. Let's try that again. Get back into that sober moment. God's standing. I got some plans. And I've got some people in position. We're going to do an active roll call. Hey, Corey! Tony! Elijah! Hey, Jay! And he's going to go through the roll call of heaven. And either we're going to be there or we are going to be missing. And here's my thought. I don't know exactly what I'm here for. But here I am. I don't know exactly what I'm supposed to be doing, but here I am. I don't know exactly what you're asking me to do, God, but here I am. See, on the last night of this revival set of services, I've found out where did God call Samuel? But in his presence. There were probably a lot of more educated and ready to go people as so they thought, but they were not. Why didn't God call the trained and the equipped priest? Because he was in his usual place. But Samuel was found in the presence of God. Here's what I'm saying and here's where we're going. If I want to be called by God and I want to be used by God, I got to get in his presence. And it's not about my timing. It's not about what I want. It's not about what I need. I just have to make sure that when he's ready to use me, that when that time comes, that I am there and I am ready to go. When God says, Jamie, where are you? Here I am. All over this place, would you stand up to your feet with me? All over this place, just stand to your feet with me. Here I am. Josiah, when God calls you to do whatever he's called you to do, you don't have to know everything, preacher. You don't have to know how to break down the Bible or scriptures in Greek and Hebrew and ancient Aramaic. He's looking for a heart just like you have in your chest that's sensitive. Don't you ever lose that. Because let me explain something. That's what he's looking for. You know what? When, he, when David's brothers who were better trained, better skilled, stronger, more talented, and smarter, when they were presented before Samuel, Samuel knew what God was saying because he knew what God was, or what God wanted because he knew what God was saying. God wasn't looking for a hero. You know what he was looking for? A heart. Don't you ever lose that heart, preacher. You hear me? And he'll turn nations upside down. Father, I preached what you told me to preach. I did what you told me to do. But God, from this moment on, and for whatever you want to do in this church and amongst these people, Lord, have your way. 
Here's what we're going to do. If you're willing to say, hey, I want to be used by God. There are some promises that I've been desperately longing for. There's some Samuels that I, I because I asked, because I, I, I've just got to ask him. I've been asking him and I'm going to keep on asking him. But if you're here and you're ready for those Samuels to come forth and you're ready to be used by God when they do, I want you to leave your seat and I want you to come and stand or kneel in this altar and, and this amazing worship team's going to begin to lead us in worship and we're going to just begin to spend a few moments crying out to God we're going to just begin to release the hands of God by our active prayer come on church don't be shy just come on begin grab your spouse grab your kids grab your grab your neighbor and say listen let's go up there and pray let's go up there and seek heaven let's go up there and go after what God has planned come on church listen every single person I'm going to ask you to just come up I'm